Uh, we're in the middle of a, a new series uh, called An Anchor in the Storm, as uh, Vaughan has already uh, said at the beginning. Uh, we're here in this series, this topical series, because uh, we want to be a church that is a grace-shaped and grace-filled community where people can share, where people can be cared for in the midst of those very normal storms of life, anchored by the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, as we face these storms, uh, we want to um, point one another to Jesus, the source of all grace. We want to point one another to our Heavenly Father, the God of all comfort. And so one of the goals of this series is to give us permission to talk about things. And actually one of the consistent encouragements that you'll receive throughout this series is to talk to someone. Uh, When you're facing these things, when you're going through these storms, you don't need to do it alone. In fact, uh, isolation, I think, that feeling that you're the only one going through this and no one else understands, that is one of Satan's tools that he uses to bring doubt and discouragement in the Christian life. And one of the great tools that we have as a Christian community is one another where we're able to say in the midst of these struggles uh, that we need help to share uh, what we're going through. And my prayer is that as we do that, that we would be a community where we hold on to one another even as we hold on to the cross of the Lord Jesus. So today we're thinking about the issue of anger and I'm going to pray as we come to think about this together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for how real the Bible is about the normal storms of life that each of us will face. We thank you that you promise to be our comforter and our guide and indeed our anchor in those storms. Please help us to think rightly about anger today that we might put off the kind of anger that disintegrates relationships and community, that we might become more like you being slow to anger, that we might become more like you in being angry at evil and injustice. And in our angry moments, please help us to find an anchor at the cross of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, Well, in the style of David Letterman, here are my ten things that I've been angry about in the past week. Uh, They're not in order of importance, they're just in the order that they came out of my head. Number 10, I was angry at the person who stole the church kettle. Number 9, I was angry at how many times I had to say, put your socks on. Uh, Number 8, I was angry at the amount of rubbish that gets dumped on our property. Number 7, I was angry at the person who parked in the school drop-off zone. Number 6, I was angry at the way death robs us of relationships. Number five, I was angry at the submission to increase the number of pokies in Petersham. I was angry at our government cutting foreign aid once again. I was angry at the person who put the empty milk container back in the fridge. I was angry at the guy who parked his truck across the driveway. And number one, I was angry at the person who put my glasses in the soap. Uh, and one of, yeah, I was confused as well. <clears throat> one of my reflections 
on my own anger this week is that my helplessness when it comes to those big issues that I'm angry about, the important things, my inability to change the things outside of my control oftentimes means that my anger comes out at the wrong person, at the wrong time, in the wrong quantity, over the wrong issue. So the socks and the soap end up bearing a lot of the weight of the rubbish and the parking, if that makes sense. And that kind of response is both unfair and ungodly. And a bit of a theme today will be my own personal therapy session happening up here as we go. That response is both unfair and ungodly. Anger in our own hands, from our own bodies, driven by our own passions, is always a negative thing in the Bible. Uh, In Colossians 3 that Sally just read, uh, we've just heard that anger is one of the key things that a Christian person needs to take off. It's like a filthy old rag that belongs to our old nature and needs to be put to death, gotten rid of. Anger needs to be taken off along with its frequent companions of rage, malice and slander because of the new life that we have in Jesus. Because those things don't fit with our identity as people who have been transformed by the the death and resurrection of Jesus. If that is our identity in Christ, a new creation, then we need to get rid of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Have a look at chapter 3 verse 1 again with me. It sets the tone. This is who we are. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And if that's the case, then what are we to do? Who are we to be? Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. The kind of anger that we need to get rid of is the kind of anger that disintegrates relationships and disintegrates community. It's the anger that belongs to our earthly nature, that earthly nature that has human pride at its centre, the nature that has a warped view of our own importance, the, the, the nature that has an idolatrous view of our own comfort. And it's that warped view of our own importance, it's the idolatrous view of our own comfort where often our anger comes from. That kind of anger that you need to get rid of is where you have that outburst of emotion that more often than not is accompanied with the throwing around of words like weapons. 
And words thrown around in the midst of that anger often will always wound people. And anger like that wounds people that you love. It not only can wound emotionally but left unchecked it can all too often wound physically. The kind of anger that the Bible is talking about is the anger that clouds your judgement where you just can't make rational decisions. It lacks proportion. It lacks control. It lacks rationality and means you cannot act wisely or justly. How can you read those words in James without feeling rebuked? The tongue is such a small part of the body but consider what great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. Generally when we're angry it's because we're confident there's a problem with someone else. And it's so often the case that we fail to see our own contribution to that problem. I'm angry because I have to bear the cost of someone else's actions. I'm angry because I'm not in control. I'm angry because you didn't give me what I want. When I find myself getting angry, I think I need to ask myself some questions. I need to have the presence of mind to pause. Am I angry because I've made my own comfort or my own reputation an idol? Am I angry um, because of my own pride and sinfulness? When I've been wronged by someone else in the pattern of the Lord Jesus, I should ask, how can I love this person? When I feel out of control, I should ask the question, how can I trust God in this situation? When I don't get what I want, I should ask, how can I rest in God's grace and his provision? When I've been wronged and feel like justice is at stake, I need to ask, how can I respond to promote forgiveness and reconciliation? But let's be serious. When you're angry, when you're in the middle of it, the last thing that you do is stop to ask questions. Oh, to have the presence of mind to pause in the midst of your anger to ask some of those very rational questions. So I wonder, and this again will be a theme throughout this series, if these are some tools that we need in the calm moments, these are some questions to be armed with in the quieter times, to ask ourselves, to consider our habits, our patterns of relating and responding. Or maybe these are the sorts of questions that you need to have a trusted friend ask you to keep you accountable, to examine your motives, to examine your responses, to to examine your reaction to people, to events. Maybe these are the kind of skills that we need to stop before our anger takes hold of us. I have a good mate who 
often will text me uh, when he fails in this area as a father. Failed again. Lost it with the kids. I feel like rubbish. And more often than not, my simple response is not to provide some complex solution, some amazing insight, but is simply to say, I'm with you, brother. And one of the great things of sharing these burdens with each other, of giving permission to talk about it, to share it with each other, is that just the the act of sharing it, of verbalising it, of, of speaking about it, can so often loosen the grip that anger can have over us. But can I also suggest that some of us probably need to speak to a counsellor as well as a trusted friend when it comes to our anger. Uh, I'm basically convinced that all of us should be talking to a counsellor about something or another. No offence. And uh, I want us to have a culture as a church of seeing counselling by a professional as a very good and a very normal thing to do. Seeking out good professional counselling is a sign of wisdom and it's a sign of maturity. It is not a sign of weakness and failure. And and can I say uh, that if you ask me for a referral, I will not think of you as weak or as a failing. I will think of you as wise and mature. And the very act of asking for help, of speaking about struggle, of seeking counselling, can I say that that is a very good sign. Acknowledging that we struggle with our anger is a sign that we're wanting to put off our old self. That we're wanting to put to death what belongs to our earthly nature, that we're being renewed into the image of our Creator. (coughs) That's a sign that God is at work and is something that should be celebrated. Verse 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And as God uh, transforms us by his word and spirit to look more and more like the Lord Jesus, to be renewed in the image of, its, of our creator, then we start to look like God looks we start to to exhibit those characteristics that God has. Have a look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Uh, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I notice in those characteristics of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience compared to anger, rage, malice and slander 
is that the characteristics that we're meant to have are often slower than the things that we're meant to put off. There's something slow about gentleness and patience and kindness compared to the quick-temperedness of anger, rage, malice. That part of uh, being godly when it comes to our anger is being slow. So in this issue, like so many other issues of modern life, I think we do better when we slow down, when we pause, when we can ask some of those self-reflection questions, when we can take a moment, count to 20, walk around the block before our anger takes hold. We want to reflect God's character when it comes to our anger and part of what the Bible says is not that we shouldn't have anger but we should have anger at the right things and in the right quantity. And one of the key characteristics that God is described as having and that we're to have is being slow to anger. Being slow to anger. That God is slow to anger and only ever angry at sin and evil. He doesn't get angry at personal inconvenience and frustration. So have a look at all these ways that God is described as being slow to anger. You'll see them on the screen. Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's repetitive, isn't it? The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty because his ways are in the whirlwind and storm, the clouds are the dust of his feet. And so what then does the Bible say? Well, if God is like that, therefore, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it's his glory to overlook an offence. And know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. When it comes to our anger, we want to be like God, being slow to anger and only ever angry about the right things. I was reflecting at eight o'clock with someone that uh, my response to the issues of justice and evil in this world don't carry the same physical response as my anger 
at the milk, the empty milk carton in the fridge. When was the last time I, I responded physically to the issue and the plight of refugees in our world compared to being cut off in traffic? I want to be like God who doesn't fly off the handle but who is slow to anger and only ever angry at evil and injustice. Listen to John Stott talking about God's anger. God's anger being aroused by our sin doesn't mean that he is likely to fly off the handle at the most trivial provocation, still less that he loses his temper for no apparent reason at all. For there's nothing capricious or arbitrary about the holy God, nor is he ever irascible, malicious, spiteful or vindictive. His anger is neither mysterious nor irrational. It's never unpredictable, it's always predictable, being provoked because it is provoked by evil and evil alone. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. In short, God's anger is poles apart from ours. What provokes our anger, injured vanity, never provokes his. What provokes his anger, evil, seldom provokes ours. Oh, that we would be like God, being provoked to anger by evil and evil alone. The evil that we see in our world and the evil that we know in our own hearts. And here's the great thing, that God's anger at sin, your sin and mine, God's anger at the evil and injustice of this world and our failure when it comes to the issue of anger. Well, they both come together in the cross of the Lord Jesus, don't they? For those of us who have a problem with anger, who carry regret and shame, at our failure in this area, who carry the wounds of damaged relationships. Well, there is hope and there is forgiveness at the cross of the Lord Jesus. And it's at the cross of the Lord Jesus that God's righteous anger, his settled opposition to sin and evil, it's at the cross of the Lord Jesus that God's anger is dealt with. And our anger is dealt with. Let me finish this morning with this quote from Richard Gibson in thinking about the cross and our anger. The cross is the appropriate terminus for this discussion on how we deal with anger. The most difficult experience of anger we face are those where we cannot shake the conviction that we are justified in feeling angry and the prospect of revenge seems right and sweet. And it is the cross that allows us, no demands of us, that we put down our weapons and let go of our anger. Because there, God's righteous anger against us was appeased. And now he calls us to the same forgiveness so that our relationships are ruled by grace and kindness rather than bitterness and revenge. For we worship a God who was slow to anger and rich in mercy, the Father of compassion and the God of all 
consolation. Friends, here's my encouragement for you this morning. And if you are someone who struggles with your anger, do talk to a trusted friend. Do consider whether you should speak to a counsellor as a very normal, mature and wise response. And may all of us find forgiveness and hope at the cross of the Lord Jesus where God's righteous anger was turned away from us in order that we might find kindness and compassion and grace. I'm going to pray that that would be the case. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for who you are, that you are slow to anger and full of compassion, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We pray that you would help each and every one of us to come to the cross of the Lord Jesus where we find forgiveness for our own anger and where your anger at our sin and at the evil injustice of this world is turned aside we pray that we would be a community that is so shaped by your grace and your forgiveness that we get rid of, that we put off and put to death the kind of anger that disintegrates our relationships and our community. We pray that you would help us to do that for Jesus' sake. Amen.